The Perception Veil. Tales of the unexplained, the unknown, and the unlikely. Let me make a suggestion. Turn on all the lights in your house. Or listen to this story during the light of day. Or perhaps hiding beneath the covers makes you feel safer. Whatever makes you feel more at ease, more comfortable, you may want to consider that now. Now, you wouldn't think that a story about a women's sewing circle would be scary or horror-inducing. The image that it probably conjures in your head is one of sweet grandmotherly-type ladies with needles and thread, thimbles on their fingers, exchanging recipes and having a good old time making a quilt while sipping tea. Mm. Yeah, that will probably not be the image you have after listening to this story. This was sent to me a few years ago by a person who claimed this was all real. Here is The Sewing Ladies. I was just eight years old in 1993 when my parents and I traveled from our home in Lorraine, Ohio to the idyllic, almost forgotten country town of Milton, West Virginia for our big family reunion. From what I've been told, the reunion has been going on in some form or fashion since the early 1920s. I always looked forward to these trips because I would get to play with my cousins who I only got to see a few times a year. The drive was around five hours total. I always knew we were getting close to our destination when we reached Snake Road, which wasn't the actual name of the road. That's just what I called it because it wound down and around through the hills and hollers of backwoods West Virginia, twisting and turning like a snake. Milton is a small town with a population of about 2,500 residents, give or take. It is home to the Mud River, which flows through Cabell County, and its only claim to fame is the Blinko Glass Company, which, like our family reunion tradition, started in Milton in the early 1920s. My parents still have some items from Blinko Glasswares in their house, and to this day, my mom says it's the best glass money can buy. Milton is the type of country town where everyone knows everyone else, and it isn't uncommon for people to wave and say hello as they drive or pass you by on the street. I remember it that way, anyway. The smell of the air was noticeably different out there in the country. Clean, fresh, pure. Even today, after a heavy rain and as a light breeze wisps through, I can sometimes still catch the aroma of that place, and it immediately brings me right back to those fond memories of Milton. Our destination for the long Labor Day weekend was my grandfather James and grandmother Daisy's house. We grandkids all affectionately called them Mama and Pawpaw. They lived in a small two-bedroom house on a one-car street directly across from a red brick church, which is accompanied by a fairly large cemetery. Truly a middle-of-nowhere USA type of setting. Although the house is only a few miles outside of town, this particular area is very rural. The church is called Mount Olive Methodist Church, and the property includes Mount Olive Cemetery. There are plenty of family members buried right there on those grounds, with some of the headstones dating back to the late 1800s. 
The church and cemetery are flanked by a long covered picnic area with an A-frame roof that we used for the reunion each year, a gravel driveway with a small parking lot, and about 100 yards behind the church and cemetery, there's forest and woodlands. The church has an older section in the rear of the building that is the original smaller church before it was expanded into a more substantial additional structure that could accommodate a larger congregation. My first plan of action when we arrived at my grandparents was to find my cousin Aaron, who I was especially looking forward to reconnecting with. He was uh, three years older than me, but was the only other boy, and we shared a lot of the same interests at that age, so we were pretty close. One of our favorite things to do as kids was to play in the cemetery across the house. This particular sunny day, our game of choice was to find the biggest stick we could and guard the cemetery. We would pretend that we were church security and would patrol around the grounds making sure everything was in order. In our minds, we were protecting the church. Really typical things for an 8- and 11-year-old to do, and in those times in the early 90s, we played with our imaginations and we had fun. This area was so rural that the church was left unlocked at all times, so Aaron and I had free reign and could enter and exit the church as we pleased. Although I can distinctly remember playing in the church many times before, this particular day was going to be different. So different, in fact, that it changed both of us forever. The following events are exactly as I remember them. I was a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed eight-year-old, and now as a 35-year-old husband and father, I still recall this experience as if it happened just yesterday. During our playtime as church security guards, we decided to leave our outside perimeter posts and enter the church to explore around inside. There was no church service on this particular day and not a single car in the parking lot, so we were completely alone and the church was quietly empty. We entered through the side door of the church, which led into a small kitchen area. From there, we went into the main section where the Sunday service would take place and played around the pews for a while. I can remember being loud and enjoying the echo of that large room with the vaulted ceiling as we trotted through the pews, staying in character as we explored, sticks in hand, still guarding the church. Aaron and I then decided to return toward the back of the church where the original structure was located. This particular part of the church had been converted into a series of Sunday school classrooms for kids many years ago. Just off the kitchen area, there was a hallway with three separate rooms on each side. As soon as we stepped into the dark hallway, the mischievously playful mood immediately changed. I can recall a distinct, almost ominous feeling of imminent uncertainty wash over me. As I stood at the entrance to the hallway, me in front, Aaron behind me, I knew that something was going to happen. There was a rare foreign electricity in the air. This looming feeling was so magnetic that I knew that something was impending. The air felt heavy, and I can remember taking a long, deep breath before I took my first few steps down the poor-lit, gloomy hallway. I had been inside this church numerous times before this moment and had never felt this feeling before. But with Aaron right behind me and my sense of curious exploration influencing me, 
I cautiously forged ahead. I had to know why this feeling had suddenly come over me. I was being drawn to a certain room. As Aaron and I made our way down the dim hallway, I went directly to the last room on the left. As I approached the closed wooden door, I had no idea what was waiting for us on the other side, but that inauspicious feeling remained. Without hesitation, I turned the doorknob and hastily flung open the door. At that very moment, it was as if we stepped through a threshold into a different time, a much earlier time. As the door swung wide open and we stepped inside, a new impression penetrated through me. The short-lived foreboding feeling I had had while walking down the hallway was quickly replaced with a sense of encroachment. It was like we barged into a room that we shouldn't have been in. Sitting around a long, rectangular table were at least 12 women. They were all hard at work, sewing together a long, thick quilt that spanned the entire 10-foot table. Each lady had a piece of the patterned fabric in hand, and they had clearly made quite a bit of progress on this quilt. It must have taken them many hours to complete. As large as the quilt was, it appeared as if it was almost finished. As we interrupted them, their work stopped, and the ladies all fixed their attention to us and our sudden intrusion. Being raised Catholic and the fact that we were in a church, the first rational impression that landed in my eight-year-old brain was that these were nuns. It didn't dawn on me until later that this wasn't a Catholic church, and it never had been. But in that moment, that was the way I rationalized what I was seeing. Their clothing was all black and in a very gothic 1800s Victorian era style, much like a contemporary nun would be dressed. Each lady wore long sleeve tops with semi-ornate black lace patterns with hair tied tightly back. A few of them were wearing hats or head coverings of some kind. I can remember the dark clothing covering their entire bodies all the way up to their necks. The ladies all looked up in abrupt consternation as we swiftly breached through the door. We didn't expect to see them, and it was as if they didn't expect to see us. They were solid beings. They didn't appear to be the stereotypical see-through ghosts. They were as real as you and I, corporeal and solid. Deep down, even my eight-year-old self knew that they shouldn't be there and I had no earthly explanation for the scene that was taking place in front of me. Wide-eyed, I fixed my attention to the closest lady at the end of the table. She slowly turned her head, briefly studied Aaron and I, and with a slightly perplexed tone, she spoke, Is there something I can help you with, young man? Her voice was reserved, yet firm. She remained stone-faced as she stared directly at me, eyes locked, and awaiting a response as to why we disturbed their project. I was astonished. She could see me, and I could see her. I felt my blood run cold. I found myself in a state of near shock that she actually spoke to me. Instinctually, Aaron and I began to slowly tread backward and back out of the room, 
My eyes steadily connected onto the entity in front of me, and all of their eyes fixed properly on the two of us. At that quiet, yet intense moment, you could literally hear a pin drop. As we slowly exited with our backs still facing the door, I shook my head. No, ma'am, I replied apologetically, still consumed with mixed feelings of bewilderment, infringement, and terror. The next thing I remember is standing at the edge of the cemetery, facing the narrow road in my grandparents' house, looking up at Aaron with a complete sense of disbelief and confusion as to what had just taken place. Neither of us have any recollection of actually exiting the church after slowly backing out of that room where we encountered the ladies. As I gazed up at my older cousin with a need for reassurance and confirmation that he had indeed just witnessed the same thing I did, it was clear to me that he was as stunned and as baffled as I was at our shared encounter. I can't recall Aaron offering a response or an explanation of any kind to what we had just witnessed together inside that church. We stood silent for a moment, side by side at the edge of the church property. It was nearing dusk. All sense of time had been lost. What had seemed like just a few minutes of play may have actually been hours. I once again turned my attention to the church, staring back blankly and again noticing there were no cars in the parking lot, no lights on anywhere in the building. There was absolutely no reason for those ladies to have been there, I thought to myself. We headed down the small hill of the graveyard, crossed the narrow road, and went back into my grandparents' house, where we remained for the rest of the evening. We didn't discuss what we'd seen with anyone, not our parents, our relatives, not our cousins or other siblings, and not even each other. A few years passed, and summertime when I was 12, Aaron and his father, my Uncle Jerry, came to stay with my parents and I for an extended visit. I couldn't have been happier, as I was once again looking forward to being able to spend more time with Aaron and my uncle. It was welcome news that I would have them there at our house with us. I can remember it as being one of the best summers of my childhood. It was during this summer stay that Aaron and I finally spoke about that day at the church. To my surprise, one day he nonchalantly brought up the experience. Do you remember when we saw those ladies in the church by Paul Paul's house? Man, what was that all about? Aaron asked. How could I forget? I responded as we finally delved back in time, exchanging our memories of that fateful day inside Mount Olive Methodist Church. As unsettling as it was to revisit the event, there was a certain sense of relief to finally discuss it with Aaron. The whole experience had left me with more questions than answers, and it weighed heavily on my mind from time to time. At last I felt that, while completely unexplainable, what we had seen was real, had indeed happened, and to have Aaron finally confirm it as truth gave me that feeling of confirmation and reassurance that I hadn't had until that point and had been so desperately awaiting. I never understood why it took us both so long to speak about it. I assumed that after experiencing a paranormal event like that, it takes some time for youthful minds to gather thoughts in recalling such a surreal confrontation. 
we went on to have a few more conversations about what we had seen over the years, and each time that we've reminisced about it, we both recall the event clearly, with no contradictions or deviations between our recollection of the occurrence. In 1998, my family moved away from Lorraine to Louisville, Kentucky, when my father got transferred from his job while working for the Ford Motor Company. A few months after we settled into our new environment, we got the terrible news that my older sister Shannon had been diagnosed with a rare form of small-cell carcinoma in her eye. Shannon and I are around 14 years apart in age, and she's from my mom's first marriage. Shannon is my half-sister, and she was adopted by my dad long before I was born. We have always been as close as any brother and sister you can find, and never used the term half-sister or half-brother. Simply put, we are siblings. At the time she was diagnosed with cancer, she had been living in Nevada near Las Vegas. Other than her daughter, Caitlin, who was nine or ten at the time, she had little to no family by her side throughout her journey with cancer. After a string of surgeries, chemotherapy, and radiation, we were all elated to learn that the cancer had been successfully removed and that my sister was in complete remission. Unfortunately, the cancer and treatment had taken its toll on Shannon, and understandably, she wanted to be close to our mom as she continued to recover. With that, my sister and niece traveled from Nevada to Kentucky to stay with us as Shannon continued to go through the healing process. One evening, we began to reminisce about our great memories of Mama and Pawpaw's house in Milton. Mama Daisy had since passed away by this time, and my sister had spent a big portion of her childhood with that side of the family and knew the area very well. Like me, she too had many fond memories of playing in the church and the cemetery as a child with some of my older cousins. She even lived with my grandparents at their house for one summer. She was very close with them, especially to my grandmother. I figured that since we were having such a good time pouring over great memories of Maumal Daisy and Milton, that this was as good of a time as any to bring up the encounter that Aaron and I had with the ladies in the church. After all, Shannon grew up around the church. She'd probably laugh it off and disregard it, I thought. Then we'd move on and never speak of it again. Until this point, Aaron was the only person that I had ever discussed this with. I started, you know, one day Aaron and I were playing in the church, and we had a really weird thing happen to us. Shannon perked up and immediately interjected before I could continue. You saw the sewing ladies, didn't you? I almost couldn't believe my ears. My jaw dropped. It was as if Shannon knew exactly what I was about to say. How, how, did, how did you know? Shannon went on to tell one of the most ghastly stories I have heard to this day, and what she described completely substantiated my experience in that church. Years before I was born, and when Shannon was around the same age I was when I had my brush with the sewing ladies, she was playing in the church with a few of my older cousins. They decided to play a game of hide-and-seek, and the church gave the group an excellent opportunity to find some unique hiding spots. As Shannon was looking for the perfect concealment, she decided to go into the last Sunday school room on the left, the same room where years later I would have my experience. She entered the room and it was quiet and empty. She observed the long table covered with a long draped tablecloth that went all the way to the floor and decided 
she had found her perfect hiding place. She climbed underneath the table and got down on all fours. She tried to be as quiet as she could. As she was silent and still under the long table, Shannon said she noticed that the room got very cold. And a strange feeling came over her, but in the heat of the game, she quickly shrugged it off. At that same moment, she could hear the seeker coming down the hallway, checking in on the other rooms. Shannon knew it was only a matter of time before the seeker would enter the last room, her room, and begin their search. In an effort to be as quiet as she could, she remained crouched, making herself as small as possible, and put her arms over her head, becoming still and motionless. After a minute, she still hadn't been found. She thought it was odd that she could no longer hear her cousin searching in the neighboring rooms. She lifted her head from her arms and prepared to peek out from under the tablecloth to take a quick look in the room. As soon as she raised her head, to her unabridged horror, there were now pairs of legs surrounding the entire length of the 10-foot table. Her heart began to pound so ferociously that it could have been audible. Just moments ago, this room was empty. In a moment of panic and disbelief, she bolted from underneath the table, only looking back to catch a glimpse of what had appeared around her. It was a group of ladies, dressed in Victorian-style clothing, all black, working on a quilt. Shannon made a break for the door, ran out of the church, and did not look back. When Shannon had finished her story, it was now my turn to explain my experience with Aaron to Shannon. We were both mesmerized that we had both had such extreme yet similar paranormal experiences so many years apart. In 2009, my grandfather, Paul Paul, passed away. He was going to be buried next to my grandmother Daisy in Mount Olive Cemetery. My mom and dad went to Milton for the funeral service, and my mom wanted to get some of his personal effects to bring back home to Kentucky. Unfortunately, due to a very hectic work schedule, I was unable to make the trip. When my parents returned, mom had a large trunk filled with many of my grandfather's personal items. There were clothes, old photos, military records from my grandfather's time in the service, and many other knickknacks that were important to my mom. Upon searching through the trunk, I came across an old cookbook. The cookbook was the official recipe book for members of Mount Olive Church, and it had many recipes from aunts, cousins, and even my grandparents and great-grandparents in it. The first page of the cookbook had an illustration of the church prior to when the addition had been added. The foreword of the cookbook briefly outlined the history of the church and described that when the congregation was formed, the women parishioners would get together and cook for the less fortunate, and that they would also make clothing and blankets for the needy families in the area. Reading this was the final piece to the puzzle that had left me so perplexed over the years. As terrifying as it was to witness the sewing ladies firsthand, I began to realize that they were just doing what they did in life, helping people. By this time, many of my family members were now aware of what we had experienced as kids, and most tended to convey that who we saw was family. 
I cannot say for sure if what I experienced was a time slip, or a glitch in the matrix, an ethereal vision, a portal, or an intelligent haunting. What I can tell you is that what I saw was very real, and it changed my view on the afterlife forever. I have had other paranormal experiences throughout the years, and I have always had a certain sensitivity to that world and those energies. But no experience has compared to the sewing ladies. I feel very lucky to have had such an experience. Andrea Perrin, the oldest daughter of the family that inspired The Conjuring movie, may have said it best during a 2014 interview about her true-life experiences with the paranormal and her book House of Darkness, House of Light, when she said, quote, From the age of 12, when I first saw a full-bodied apparition, I knew there is something beyond our mortal existence. I'm still not quite sure what it is, but I do know that it exists. Therefore, the vessel is what becomes ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Our soul and our spirit, I truly believe, moves on. I have been able to live a fully liberated life, free of fear of death. And when you think about how many people fail to live fully because of their fear of death, I think that it was a true gift to me. When you're touched by spirit, it's a gift that you can never return. You can turn your back on it and pretend that it didn't happen, or you can embrace it and accept it and garner from it what can give you the freedom to live your life in a victorious way. And that's what I've done. I haven't been back to Milton for well over 20 years, but the family reunion is still being held every year on Labor Day weekend. Maybe one of these days I will take my family back there back to Mount Olive. I'm sure that the sewing ladies are still there. And I'm sure I'm not the only one with knowledge of their presence. It is a fine line between reality and imagination. Or perhaps it is a thin, ethereal fabric that separates the corporeal and the abstract that comes in the form of the perception veil.